Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Father, we just come before you. You are Lord of all. And Father, we thank you that you sent your Son to come and die for us, to be our Savior, to save us from our sins. And Father, that Jesus was obedient to the point of death, humbling himself, and came to the cross willingly so that we might live. And Father, we just thank you for this opportunity just to come to sing your praises, to glorify you. May you be glorified in all that we do as we celebrate your presence, expressing our love to you in so many different ways. Dear Heavenly Father, All glory, honor, and praise is due to you. For you alone are worthy to receive praise. All we have in every precious moment that we have in existence is a gift from your loving hand. And we give thanks for your steadfast love towards us. This morning we come together to profess that Jesus is Lord and we submit to his rule over us. In obedience, he came to save us from our sin. Bearing our guilt and shame, he has conquered death and has given us peace with the Father. Today we come before the throne in confidence, knowing that we have a high priest, an advocate that pleads our case before the Father. We also come together this morning to give thanks for the presence of the Holy Spirit, our counselor, our helper, the sealer and guarantor of our salvation sent to convict us of sin, to regenerate our hearts and equip us for every good work. The Holy Spirit is a gift from the loving Father, emanating from the Son. We humbly ask that he strengthen us and teach us about the Son this morning through the Holy Scriptures. And lastly, we give thanks for the church, the bride of Christ, the fellowship of believers, the children of God. We thank you for calling us out of our sin and blindness and adopting us as your sons and daughters in order that we may be united together with one Lord, one baptism, one spirit. We thank you for this community, this visible local expression of your church. Let us hold her dear in all those who make us this body, this field, this building. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's people joined in by saying, Amen. Amen. He is a good God, and we thank him for his church. I want to share with you Hebrews chapter 10, 22 through 25 as we consider what is the church. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good works, not neglecting, to meet together, as is the habit of some, but to encourage one another all the more as you see the days drawn near. Some may ask, why is the church so important? Why can't I just have a relationship with Jesus and forget about the church? The church is just messy. They just want my money. They're just all about buildings and programs and propagating their own types of things. We all know people who consider themselves Christians but seldom attend church, stating all those types of things. Church is full of hypocrites and full of bigots. It will hurt my image. I can do many more things on Sunday, especially here in Southern California. Is attending church really necessary? 
I'm going to answer that with one answer. Absolutely, it is. To have faith in God means we cannot live the Christian life in isolation. Let me say that once again, because I want you to get this, because this is going to fly in the face of what many people believe and think. To have faith in God means we cannot live the Christian life in isolation like some type of spiritual Robinson Crusoe. The truth is we cannot live the full Christian life without belonging to the church. The New Testament knows nothing of unattached Christians. And we have a lot of those lone rangers out there who don't believe they need to be part of a local visible expression of church. They don't need to attend. It's all these types of things. But you know what? They have God and that's all that matters. But what we're going to see here is that God has something much more to say about the church. You see, God's ideal church is a spiritual necessity. It's something that God says is something you need, whereas to many, church is an optional activity. If I have nothing else going on, then I may attend, but it really depends what's going on. It's just an optional activity. In God's ideal, interdependence is valued, whereas in our actual practice, individualism is valued. What I want to do, what I believe. In God's ideal, spirituality takes place in community, or I would say sanctification takes place in community, whereas in actual practice, we believe that religion or our faith is a private matter just between God and me. God's ideal is that we are active involvement in all facets of life, cultural, political, where others would say, no, we need to be aloof from the real world. God's ideal is authentic behavior, Whereas I've talked before that the actual practice of those who go to church is a wearing of mask. I've said that many times church is the biggest and greatest well-attended masquerade ball there is. As we all come in wearing our masks, wanting people just to see what we want them to see, while many of us are in pain and suffering right here today, all wearing smiles. So is the church of God a useless, worn-out institution? If you're one who likes to follow the news and likes to follow polls and surveys, you'll see that we're living in an age when many people don't believe the church is necessary. It's behind the times. The church is actually on the wrong side of history once again. You'll hear those types of phrases. The church is not about human flourishing, but about keeping you captive to old ways of thinking. There's no necessity for it. But let me tell you, it doesn't have to be that. God has made all the provisions necessary for our church. Speaking of not only the invisible church, all churches, but mainly I'm speaking here, Orangeville Bible, to be a vibrant, cutting-edge group of believers who live interdependent, authentic lives of ministry and mission, building bridges so that lost people can find hope in God and that other believers may be strengthened and encouraged and their sanctification, and their journey with God. The devil can't stop us. The government can't stop us. The pervasive culture around us can't stop us. It may hedge us in. It may pressure us, but it cannot stop the church of God. Amen? We are the only ones who can cause the church to lose its place of importance by neglecting the mission that he gave us. We may try to be put scuttled, we may try to be uh, pushed aside, but yet we are of importance, no matter what others may say. And to recapture the role that God has intended 
for us as His church, you and I must gain an understanding of how the church began and explore the implications for what we're to do today. Father, we come before you and I ask for wisdom as I share this message from your word. And I pray that you'd open our hearts to receive what the Spirit has. For one message may go forth, but we may see, you know, 50, 60 different applications and 50, 60 different responses. So I pray that you'd begin to work in our hearts today. Thank you for the church. Bring us into that church. Call us into that body of believers. Lord, that we may glorify you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And so I want to share with you the beginning of the church. Is the church just something that a bunch of people who got together said, hey, let's, let's build an organization. We, we need something else. You know, you got the Kiwanis, you got the Rotaries, you've got this and that. We got to have a church. And so here they were in 0 AD saying, let's just get a group and let's start a church. We need another body. No. You need to realize is that in the beginning of the church is that it was envisioned by God. The Bible makes it clear that God has always desired to create a people for himself, a people who would love him with their hearts, and a people for whom he could prove himself to be a faithful God. When Adam missed out on the blessing of being in harmony with God in the garden, God turned to creating a people for himself. He called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to be the forefathers of his people, the children of Israel. Scripture says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people of his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it is I who have called you out and brought you forth. When Israel, though, proved to be unfaithful to the covenant promises with God, he continued his plan through the remnant as we follow Scripture through Israel and through their history who also, though, became unfaithful to him. We see this in Nehemiah and Ezra. God's plan came to fruition by sending his son, Jesus, to bring together, finally, a people who would belong totally to God. These people would also be an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's possession. This is where we find ourselves today in Scripture as the church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Sound familiar? Again, what he says to Israel, he says to the church, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, he says, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The church, those called from darkness and the light, was envisioned by God from the foundations, or before, I would say, the foundations of the earth. The second thing we see is that the church was established by Jesus Christ. It was established, not only envisioned by God, but established by Christ. In Matthew 16, 18, we read it earlier. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Talk about strength. Talk about endurance. This indicates that the church was still in the future when Jesus spoke. He was making a prediction concerning his future building up of the church. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so they might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. 
The church has a purpose. There's some importance to the church. It's not just a collection of people who get together and say, let's build buildings and let's do great programs and do all these things and bring in monies and create something special. It's much more than that. It's calling out into darkness and bringing them into light and collecting them as brothers and sisters of Christ and saying, here is my bride. And He's the process of doing and cleaning us and washing us and making us more like Him. That's what church is. That's why He tells us to provoke one another to good works. Why? Because He established by Christ so that we may be presented to Him in holy and perfect. Not only was it envisioned by God and established by Christ, but it was energized by the Spirit. How is the church built? It's the work of the Holy Spirit baptizing believers into the body of Christ. For Scripture says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Hence, I would say there are no Lone Ranger Christians out there. If you've been brought into the body of God through the baptism of the Spirit, then you are part of Christ. And what it is, is you're outside your adopted child who is looking out, who has not yet entered into his home. And I want to share with you that this has been energized by the Spirit. Yes, is it messy? Yes. Is it perfect? No. But it's energized by the Holy Spirit. There's something special that makes us different. Many churches have just become social clubs. They just become a way of networking among people. They just come ways in which you just do social things together. Let me tell you, there's something supernatural about the church. We need to recognize that. Knowing that God has envisioned the church, that is established by Christ and is energized by the Spirit, it should mean something. There's some implications for us. And I'll take them personally for our church. Because I ask, well, how does our church put these truths together in a coherent or systematic approach? Well, we start by defining the purpose of the churches as shown in Scripture. So how do we do church may be the question. And let me tell you, there is no dearth of books that are written from Scripture that say, well, this is how you do church. I've read them all. How do you do church? Well, Scripture has shared with us how to do it. There's no secret ingredient. Everyone's looking for that way to do it. And hence, you have churches that now accepted whether it's the church growth method, the seeker-friendly method, the seeker-sensitive method, or whatever it may be. Let me tell you, it's not about those types of things. We start by defining the purpose of the church as shown in Scripture. For you and I must examine what Jesus did while He was on earth. Because whatever He did was right. We have to answer the question, what are we to be and what are we to do? Now we've summed up these answers simply, and this is going to be a reminder for many of you, if you've ever been through any of our classes or been with us any time, is we put it in a statement. And it's based on the Great Commandment, the Great Commission. You'll see it there in your bulletin if you have it still or your weekly flyer. The Orangeville Bible Church exists to glorify God by obeying the Great Commission with the heart of the Great Commandment. This is something that's so simple that should be so easy for us to do. But yet we lose sight of really what God has envisioned for us what Christ has established, and what the Spirit has energized us to do. The great commandment is found in Matthew 22, where he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your might, and your neighbor as yourself. For everything the Scripture 
hangs on these two thoughts. The Great Commission, again, simple, as Jesus was ascending into heaven before so. He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. And he says, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. You see, the church exists for several reasons. The first one is to celebrate God's presence. You and I are to celebrate God's presence. You hear me use that word. That's focusing on God. That's recognizing that He's here among us in all types of ways. So many times we've divvied our life up into segments. Men are very good at doing this. We have our work, right? We have our family. We have our entertainment. And we have our friends. And so I'm just talking generally about men. We do a good job of segmenting and and putting these things in little modules. And and we're very good at trying not to allow those things and to interact. That's how we think. And many times that finds itself. And so we put church right here. We put our Christian living this way. It's not how God has developed the church. What we believe and how we think about Scripture ought to permeate all areas of our life. We don't celebrate God and express our love for Him and worship Him just between 1040 and 1115. And if we include the sermon until 12. No, it's a 24-7, a focusing on who He is. The psalmist writes in 34-3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. We find we've been created to glorify Him. And so as a body, as we come here this morning, were you ready to magnify and glorify Him? Let me ask as I'm speaking today, what are you thinking about? What are you distracted about? In the very message, are you magnifying, glorifying God? Are you thinking, well, i got to do this afterwards and i got to do that afterwards? Are we magnifying Him? Are we exalting Him? Are we celebrating His presence? The world is trying to put Him in a box. Time years ago said that God is dead. There are others who will say we need to put religion and worship all way over here and never let it out again. But let me tell you, we're to celebrate Him in everything that we do. For everything that we have is a gift. There is no area in your life that God does not say, it's mine. Glorify me in that endeavor. And so for the church, you and I come to remind ourselves and encourage us to do so and to live that out in our lives. The second thing that the Scripture tells us that the church exists is to communicate God's Word. Acts 1.8, in another way, he says you should receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, Jesus says again before He ascends. He says, for you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. We need to learn to communicate God's Word. And that may mean learning the language of some faraway country, or just learning how to share our faith in spite of our fear. Fear of rejection, fear of not knowing enough, or fear of just sharing our faith. We need to understand the importance of communication. I believe many churches and many Christians have forgotten that. A man walked into a doctor's office. He says, what do you have? The receptionist asked. The man replied, I have shingles. She told him to sit down, and soon a nurse came to him and asked, well, what do you have? He replied, well, I have shingles. 
She took his blood pressure, his weight, and complete medical history. She then took him to a room and told him to remove all of his clothes. And after a few minutes, the doctor came in and asked, well, what do you have? What are you suffering from? What's going on? He goes, well, I have shingles. The doctor looked him up and down and said, where? Well, out on the truck, the man replied, where do you want me to unload them? <laughs> silly story, silly joke. But what it gets is the importance of communication. What you and I must remember is that many times, and I think we're following this more and more, we're all using the same words, yet meaning different things with them. Words and phrases such, I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm righteous, or even I'm a professing Christian, all mean different things to different people. And so many times we're trying to communicate the gospel to someone, and they're saying, yes, I'm a Christian, but we're not saying the same thing. We don't mean the same thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And this is what's happened is language and communication. Communication doesn't happen just when I sit here and express something. Communication comes when you're able to repeat back. And I'm able to say, yes, that's what I mean. And the problem is you and I are shouting and trying to communicate in the gospel with words and with meanings that they don't understand. And we hear them and we're, yeah, well, oh, he's a Christian. And we put a stamp of approval and we go on. See, we've taken evangelism and made it almost like a gospel gun type thing. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. You know, you're a sinner, you want to say, Jesus, you want to go to heaven? Yeah, boom, ooh. All right, got another one. You notch your gospel gun and just twirl it, put it back in your holster and say, oh, want another one for Christ. And then we go on to the next person. Not once ever inviting or seeing them in church. That person goes on and says, yeah, I accepted Jesus. Someone came to my door and just to get rid of him, I said, yeah, I said the prayer. And all the way, they take that guarantee straight to the gates of hell. We find this very clearly as now we're engaged in these culture wars. As we're all speaking and even sometimes using the same words, but we're not talking and speaking the same language. So when we communicate the gospel, we need to communicate effectively. And as a church, that's why we come together and we say, this is what we mean, the Bible says. There's a church not too far that says, we have no confession and no creed. We are just biblicists. We just believe what the Bible says. Do you not want to go to church that believes what the Bible says? But my question is, what do you believe the Bible says? Well, it only means what I say now. Another pastor comes in or another group of people, they can say, well, the Bible says this. You and I today may say, well, the Bible says this, and you and I may disagree, right? Good Christians of reasonable faith who love God can disagree on an interpretation of Scripture. But there must be something from outside of us that ought to be some type of standard. Said, Here's what Scripture has been given down. What does he say in Timothy? What I have taught you, Turn and give to faithful men and entrust it to them that they may give it on to someone else. That's communicating the gospel. So are you doing that today? We need to make sure we are truly communicating with those we are trying to reach. And we are so fearful of rejection or words of bigotry or prejudice that we're ready to accept their definitions of words that are not biblical, that are not scriptural, and are not godly. And we must be careful about doing that and say, oh, okay, well, you said enough, and that's it. And we go on. 
communicate the gospel as a church means we communicate effectively. The third is to connect God's family. Ephesians chapter 2. Look with me in verse 19. It's that God wants us to connect us to each other. Again, we're fighting against this thing as I don't need the church. The church is not a necessity for me. I am a Robinson Caruso spiritually and I'm a Lone Ranger. I can do it on my own. And see, we believe that God has saved me just to save me, but God has saved us to call Himself a people. To connect to God. Ephesians chapter 2, are you there? Great passage of Scripture. Ephesians 2 is just wonderful. 19 through 22. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I need you and you need me. Believe it or not. Accept it or not. The Bible tells us that He's come to connect us. And he uses fields like we are His body. We are His building. We are His field. He gives us an example of we are many members, but yet we belong to one thing. He's about connecting us. It's not about my journey to God. It's our journey towards God as a called out people joined to be with him. Four years ago, Brandon wrote a song. I'd like to read it to you. He wrote, drop everything and grab onto someone that can pick you up when you've fallen down. Drop everything and grab onto me, someone that can hold you up when you've had enough. Because sometimes when things don't go our way, we can't seem to get away. And it seems like I let everyone down. Sometimes we get it right, and oftentimes we make mistakes, but we will be forgiven. We will not be forsaken, because everything's going to be okay once again. So you find me in this place on my face again. All my brothers around me, they surround me in prayer. When I found evil inside, they were there, and they helped cast it aside. So when darkness surrounds, I remember what they said. Take care, brothers, if there be in any of you an evil and an unbelieving heart to lead you astray from God. Exhort one another as long as it's called a day that none of your hearts be turned away. See, we're called to do life together. We need each other. It's the building together. We can, individually and all alone, we'll stand and fall. But together there's unity, there's strength. Bible says, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. He's called us to do life together. So not only has He come to connect God's family, but we're also to equip God's people. We're to equip God's people. All of us come into our journey with different gifts and different skills. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, He gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Do you see that? Who's supposed to do the work of the ministry? The saints. Oh, you're talking about those that are on staff and paid, right? No. We're here to help you build that. You know, actually, that's some of the discussions we're having now. God has blessed us with our summer program. 
But do you think three people, four people can handle 100 kids? So we're either going to have to do something or just say, we have to stop this ministry. Because if this church goes to just staff-driven ministries, are we pleasing God? Are we accomplishing the biblical thing of the church? Not at all. We all need to be involved. And so he says he's given them that they may equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of Son to mature manhood. We're to equip each other so that we may grow strong to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And let me tell you, there's some of us that need more works than others in making ourselves more like Christ, but we're to do that together, helping each other so that we may no longer, in verse 14, be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We're to equip each other. And so the question would be, are you equipping others? Have you submitted yourself and yielded yourself and humbled yourself and come and say, hey, equip me. I'm ready to work. I'm ready to learn. So many times we come into church and the thing that we demand is feed me. You'll hear that. Pastor, I'm not getting fed by the message. Well, let me tell you this. This is just cliche maybe. But let me tell you, if you're coming in and I'm opening up the Word of God and I'm reading from the Word of God and you're not being filled it's because either you're not hungry, you're too filled with something else, or you're just not eating. That's really what's happening. And again, that makes it about you. It's about consumerism. It's not about who God is and what God has called me to do. And some of you are here, I'm not going to call any names. I don't know your heart and your motivation. If you're just here for you, and this probably isn't the place because I'm going to be calling for more of a commitment, calling for you to get involved, calling for you to be equipped for the work of God. Jesus looked upon the crowd and he said, look, it's white with harvest. Pray for laborers for there's so much, but the laborers are few. And let me tell you, when I look at 100 plus kids that are hearing the gospel four days a week, every seat was taken by a little bobbing head. It's white, man. We just need to harvest it. And each one of those children represents a family and parents and so on and so forth. VBS, over 120 children. And we're just scratching the surface. And the problem I say is because people will say, well, I'm not equipped. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to communicate the gospel. I don't know how to share. I don't know how to celebrate God's presence. Well, that's what we're here to do. We do it not only on Sunday morning, but in our adult core classes where we're talking about Christians and how do we think biblically? How do we deal with politics and culture and ethics? Next week is Christians and ethics. How are we to think about ethics? How do we decide what's wrong and right in this world? Our small groups on Thursday nights and just the interaction that happens when someone just calls and says, hey, you want to meet for coffee? And let's talk. It happens when you invite another couple over and says, hey, let's play some games. Let's go eat a meal together. All of that is building and equipping each other. I've said much, and I hope you grasp it. It's an area that we as a church need to grow and learn from. 
And I want to praise God because in these last few years, God has given us many men and women to do exactly that. We're able to do much more than we were able to do, many of you remember, even eight years ago. I mean, I'm only preaching today because another man that we've equipped to do so had to leave it an emergency work. Next week, you're going to hear from another one of our men. I'm going to share with you the most popular verse in the Bible. You know how we only did VBS with 120 kids? It's because of you. I don't remember the numbers, but I think we had over 30 people helping us do that. Thank God. Praise God for that. We're equipping, we're moving, we're going in the right direction. Let's not give up. And then lastly, number five, he's called us to demonstrate God's love. And that's what we're doing through our ministries, through our programs. We're meeting needs with love. We're reaching out to others. There's an interesting article, and I don't remember the title, so I'll just paraphrase it. But it was something to the effect as the church needs to be ready for those wounded by the sexual revolution. The sexual revolution that started in the late 50s and 60s and 70s has now found its way to political and cultural levels. And we're going to see people whose lives are going to be hurt and a mess. We weren't ready for those that began to divorce. We weren't ready for those who faced abortion. We weren't ready for those when families started to disintegrate. We need to be ready. And that means we meet them without judgment but with love and compassion. That does not mean compromise. It does not mean communicate the gospel, but it means that we need to be ready to demonstrate God's love. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when I deserved it. Not when there was anything of myself that deserved God's love. But he loved me when I hated him, when I spewed out evil thoughts about him, and when I rebelled against his holy name his holy rule. We need to reach out in the same type of way. Henrietta Mears once said that God is the source of love. Christ is the proof of his love. Service is the expression of his love. And boldness is the outcome of love. And we need to be those type of people. So let's eternalize this. I've given you quite a bit of information this morning about the prevailing church. The question I would ask you is how does your life today honor God? At work, at home, at play, how does your life honor God? Who are you trying to reach for Christ? Who right now are you praying for that God would change their heart, that they may respond to the work of the Spirit? Who is in your small group of believers? Who are you doing life together? In what ways are you doing to show your faith? In what ways are you looking to be equipped and acquire the skills and share your spiritual gift, and what's your place of service? and How are you reaching out in love? Whether it's something that we're doing corporately here or maybe even involved in your community, in your walk of life. Church is not about church service and doing it then. You can do these things at work. You can do these things at play, at entertainment, and in your family. We're called to do these in all of our walks of life. You don't program this. It's a life of living out the church. Are you advancing the kingdom of God? Bill Hybels, I don't recommend him for a lot of things, but there's this one. He wrote a book called Courageous Leadership. And I love what he says here. The local church is the hope of the world. 
One major facet of the beauty of the local church is its power to transform the human heart. Now, I would qualify that by saying that comes through the Spirit, but yet we know that the church is God's agent for that. We see that in Scripture. It says, I believe that the only one power exists on this sorry planet that can do it is the power of the love of Christ, the love that conquers sin and wipes out shame and heals wounds and reconciles enemies and patches broken dreams and ultimately changes the world one life at a time. And what grips my heart every day is the knowledge that the radical message of that transforming love has been given to the church, that scripture. That means that in a very real way, the future of the world rests in the hands of the local congregation. Without churches so filled with the power of God that they can't help but spill goodness and peace and love and joy into the world, depravity will win the day. Evil will flood the world, but it doesn't have to be that way. Strong, growing communities of faith can turn the tide of history. There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. It's beautiful, it's indescribable, its power is breathtaking, its potential is unlimited, it comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and it opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions. It frees the oppressed. It offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, he continues, The potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Amen? The time for us is to be this prevailing church, Orange Villa. It's time for us to stand firm and to be what God has envisioned, what Jesus has given us and what the Spirit has energized. It's time for us to be that church. Would you commit to that this morning? Would you commit to being part of something wonderful? Would you commit to take your place among the family of God that may be in attending, it may be in giving, it may be following us in formal membership, it may be in in serving, it may be in using your spiritual gift, in equipping and loving? Would you live out the power found in the church of God his bride, for the gates of hell will never prevail against God's church. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this is a time when I would ask for you to pause. Then pray and consider those things that have been spoken from Scripture this morning. Ask for wisdom to speak the things and to take the things that are my opinion and separate them from the things that God is calling you to do. And would you respond then to the Holy Spirit's work What is he calling you to? Joining the church, being part of the church, giving to advancing the kingdom, to celebrating his presence, to equipping his people, to demonstrating his love, to connecting once and for all. Would you respond to what God's call this morning? Father, I come before you thanking you once again for speaking to us through your word and through your church and through your people. I pray that you would give us the wisdom 
that you have made an offer to us. Let us be that church. We confess that we haven't always been the type of church that you've called us to be. But I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that your spirit would empower us. May we be a loving, forgiving, grace-filled community that embraces those that are different by communicating the gospel. Let us reach out with love. Let us celebrate your presence in all facets of our lives that you may be glorified and people may be reconciled to you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.